Welcome to Lifehouse Church Online. To know more about our senior pastors, head to the Lifehouse website. We hope you enjoy the service. I was, I was ready. I was all ready because, you know, um, if you know me, you know I love a prop. But I don't have a prop today. Oh, hey? Got to keep you guys guessing. That's what I was thinking. But I thought I'd do some dad jokes. Because everybody loves a dad joke. And I'm really bad at jokes. So I figured that if there was ever a day to do a dad joke, today would be the day. Because, but I decided Dave did all the fun. And I'm not going to give you any dad jokes. Oh, you do? Oh, maybe I should try. But all right, I'll give you one. But... You have to go with me, all right? Don't let me hang here. Don't let me sink. You've got to laugh with me. Like, pretend, all right? Pretend. Tell Richard. Richard's in, on the Gold Coast. I'll get to that. Um, but tell Richard how awesome I was. So here we go. Here's one. Where is the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. <laughs> hey, not bad, not bad. I'll work on my delivery. Here, next one. What excuse... Did Adam give to his children as to why he no longer lived in the Garden of Eden? You guys are awesome down the front here. They're helping me. Your mother ate us out of house and home. (laughs) So bad, hey? All right. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was standing on the deck. All right. That's enough, Helen. That's enough. All right. Well... We are here today to celebrate dads, and um, we think dads are awesome, but you know what? I know for so many of us, it's actually a really tough day. It's, for some of us, it's great, or for some of us, it's it's a bit dark, it's a bit difficult, there's sadness, sometimes there's disappointment, or there's grief, you know, so um, some of us are single mums, and we're trying to raise our kids on our own. Some of us are single dads, and we're doing that, so look, I know that there's lots of, um, different emotions and tensions in the room, so I'm sensitive to that. But I do think it's a great opportunity, Father's Day, to just talk about what our opportunity, about what makes great dads, and how can we help the dads around us to be great? How can we help those who are already dads be better dads? And how can we help, um, you know, mums and, and wives, how can you help the dads in your world, to be great dads. And kids, how can you help your dad to be awesome? How can you communicate better with him? And maybe um, siblings, how can you behave with one another so that um, you make dad's life better, hey? That'd be good, (laughs) a bit of that. But, um, you know, so I just, I think that this word, I, I am definitely speaking to dads today, but I'm also speaking to every one of us in the room as we encourage the dads around us but it speaks to our hearts as well. And I know that um, this word is for every one of us. You know, I'm not, um, I want you to know that I'm really honoured to speak today, that I'm really honoured to speak into the lives of the men in our church. And um, Richard isn't, I'm not preaching because Richard's missing. Richard is missing because I'm preaching. 
Richard went to the Gold Coast this weekend to, to sow into another church because I'm here bringing the word today and, and he was released to be able to do that. So he said to me, make sure they know that I want you up there today, that I know you've got a word on your heart for all the men. So I want to just honour my husband. He's a great man, but he believes in me and he believes in you. So I think that's amazing. You know, fathers are important. The role of a father and the father figure is invaluable in a person's life. Research shows that children with fathers who balance sensitivity and warmth with discipline and structure are less likely to have emotional and behavioural issues. These children are more likely to do well socially, academically, relationally and developmentally. And, you know, when we can lean in and be great dads or we can help kids have father figures that are good father figures, we can help children live great lives and go on into great parenting themselves. You know, parenting is actually such a short window, that little stage that you get where you've actually got little kids. I remember when my children were young, um, you know, that sort of six, seven, eight, nine, then the 10, 11, 12, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm a parent forever. Like, I'm going to be here in this, in the trenches of parenting, of discipline, of lunches, of school runs. Of, I just didn't realise it was going to end. But the, the, the season that we really get to intentionally parent is short. It's over before we know it. So I want to really um, encourage you, if you're a young parent, if you're parenting young children, or if you're going to be in the near future... Be intentional. Take the time to really sow in, to put the energy in to your young kids. Grandparents, support your kids in that space because it's so short but it's so important. Yeah, come on. And, um, you know, I think there's some things we can learn, some important things I want to touch on today. And then at the end, we're gonna, we are going to get to our feet and we are going to sing because I believe God has an encounter for every single one of us. Whether you're in the, in the room new, come on, give him some praise or you've been here a hundred times, something is going to shift today. Amen. Well, the first thing is I think we need to be led by love. We need to be led by love. You know, the, we have to love ourselves first. We have, to, we have to, one, receive God's love, but then we have to love ourselves. We have to believe in ourselves. You know, you've heard Richard say, um, you know, he, if, if something's going on, he just says, look, I don't care what you say. I'm a great guy. I'm a great guy. I think I'm awesome. And you know what? We need to believe in ourselves. We have to love ourselves. Sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves. We do make mistakes. We do get it wrong. We do miss the mark. But being kind to ourselves and loving ourselves, I think, is the first step to loving our kids. But then we need to love our kids. The Bible talks about King David. It says that he was a great man. He was a warrior. He was, he, at work, he was awesome. He was great out there in the workplace every day of the week. But he was actually absent for his kids. And the result was that his kids actually turned on him. They were disloyal. There was no connection. And, you know, it, it was because he wasn't emotionally engaged. He wasn't present with them. He might have been in the room, but he wasn't present. And it's so important that we're present, that we're with our kids, even adult kids. You know, it's so important that when they come for dinner that we're present, that we're talking to them, we're asking them questions, we're talking about their work life, we're talking about their dreams or their struggles. We've got to be present with our kids. 
Turn off your phone. Oh, there's a tip. Get off your computer. Have some time when you're just there playing Lego, doing whatever it looks like. You're just present. You're not distracted. Where your kids see you not take a phone call. Where you choose to be present rather than engaging in the stuff of life. You know, Richard used to play games with our kids. And um, I did this whole educational toy thing. Like I bought a whole stack of educational games. And one of them was like a game for times tables. How exciting. Like... And but he hated it. He hated this game. He thought it was so boring. But he played it. He played it with them because it was quality time. And he was trying to show them that he was invested in their education and all those things. But really, he hated it. But he was present with them. You know, Mark got, um, got a kite for Christmas. And so Richard was straight out there with that kite. Come on, son. Let's go fly the kite. He destroyed the kite. Um, Mark got a, a helicopter for Christmas, a remote control helicopter. Come on, son, let's get out there. Let's try the remote control helicopter. He, Richard destroyed the remote control helicopter. Uh, Stephanie got a bike, and um, so he taught Stephanie to ride the bike. He helped Stephanie ride the bike straight into a tree. Uh, come on, come on. But at least he was present. He was there. He was engaged. He was having some fun with his kids, you know. Love makes room for mistakes. Love's, love makes room for us to not get it right. One with ourselves and also with each other. First Peter 4.8 says this, Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers stuff. Love, love allows us to make some mistakes along the way. And um, I think as parents we need that, but we need to give our kids some space to make mistakes, overlook their failures, overlook where they've got it wrong. Let the bedroom mess go by. Close the door for the sake of love, for the sake of connection with your kids, for hearts to be open. You know, as your kids get older, adult children, for those of you who don't know me personally, you know, I have three adult children, 29, 27 and 25, three adult children And so, you know, we've got to make room. We don't all think the same thing. We don't all agree on the same stuff. We have to make room for one another's differences. And love, love makes room for that. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love hangs in there. Love gets us over the line. Love enables us to overlook their, their, their limits and their, their things they've done wrong. It helps us to build up faith in our kids that they believe in. You should be getting a lot more excited about now about what love does in our lives. God's love and overlooking stuff allows us to raise a confident generation, kids who are on fire for Jesus, kids who know the love of God. And we can show them that when we lead with love. And I think that's really important. Um, You know what? Another really key thing for parenting, for dads in particular, is to bring structure and discipline, is to bring the framework around life. Um, Pediatric doctors say this, Fathers and mothers are pillars in the development of a child's emotional well-being. Children look to their fathers to lay down rules and enforce them. They also look to their fathers to provide a feeling of security, both physical and emotional. 
you know, if you're, if you're a single mum in the room, you're probably wearing both hats, the, the dad hat, the mum hat, the, you know, the, the discipline hat and then the, the love hat, you know, it, it gets tricky. But we have to help our kids have good boundaries. Children need boundaries and structure. They need sleep time, bedtime, playtime, family values. Um, they're like puppies, kind of, but more complex. But are there any puppy lovers, any dog, who are the dog lovers in the room? We've got some dog lovers, oh, look at you all. Oh, you guys are great. Well, I had a puppy and I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with a puppy. And then I just worked out, oh, they're just like a child. But they're just a bit simpler and totally, um, they just love you completely. But one thing a puppy also does is it plays off people in the family. Have you noticed that? Like one family member will let the dog on the bed. The other family member won't let the dog on the bed. And the dog sort of walks in. Who's here today? Oh, I can get on the bed. Oh, oh, no, no bed today. And they know. And kids are exactly the same. They play us off against one another. Grandma, grandpa, auntie, uncle. They know. I get away with this here. I don't get away with that there. So dads... You're trying to really step up to the plate. You're trying to be awesome. You're trying to bring really healthy boundaries for your kids. And mom, support the guy. Get in there with him. Yeah, I agree with your dad. I agree with your dad. Your dad's awesome. Your dad's got it together. Let's support one another as we bring the boundaries because it works for puppies. It works for kids, all right? (laughs) I promise you. And bringing that discipline, bringing boundaries... Bringing healthy limits is not about abusing them or or punishing them or being mean. It actually shows them love. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12, well, actually verse 12 we're going to jump to says this. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. You know, the Bible's saying... Of course your father's going to be giving you limits and boundaries. He loves you. Of course he's going to be doing that. Hebrews 12, 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never been disciplined by their father? It's, it's natural, it's important, and it's helpful. Even God had to discipline his own kids. God had to put Adam and Eve out of the garden. He had to put them out for their sake, for their well-being. So even God has had to make the tough calls on his kids. So come on, we've got courage. I believe in you guys. I believe in the dads in this room, that you've got the courage. I believe that as we bring discipline, bring um, healthy, healthy boundaries around our children, it helps them to step into life. Amen? Amen. Come on. I think it's great to be a teachable teacher. A teachable teacher. You know, I've worked out that we've made mistakes along the way. And if you can admit you've made some mistakes in your relationships, your friendships, the places around you, people around you, when you realise you've, you've got to grow, you've got to change, that's being teachable, that we're never stuck. We don't ever want to be stuck as a parent, as an adult, as a sibling. Don't get stuck. Don't be like, I do it this way, bad luck. No, we have to be teachable. But we're also called to be teachers, to be the ones that are teaching those around us. And it doesn't have to be a natural father or a natural daughter that you're teaching. You might find someone in the room where you're like, you know what, these kids, their dad's not really around much, but or their dad doesn't love God. I could be that dad. 
I could help invest in that child. I could help be the person who's going to raise that child to love God. I could teach them the things of God. And in you doing that, you're also being teachable because you're growing in what God's doing with you. Being intentional to teach our kids God's ways. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, I'm sure most of us, many of us have heard this scripture. We use it, we often use it when we um, dedicate children. But it says this, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again and again and again. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. You know, we... We're responsible to teach our kids, to, to make it interesting, to make it at home. It's not a kid's world job to, to raise godly kids. It's our job as a community of people, as parents, to talk about the things of God everywhere we go. You know, Richard and I were pretty committed to this, so we used to have family night every Friday night. So we decided that we would make family night a bit spiritual. And we found this book, this really super Christian book that had like each week a different activity to do. So it would take you through the activity, the Bible story, the discussion with the kids, the, acti- the fun stuff. So it was really interesting, but it was a family event. So we were really excited about it. And so this one afternoon, Richard comes home early from work and he's setting up for family night for our little moment. And he's out in the carport and he puts flour all over the carport. And then in the middle, there's this swing hanging there. And then when we're ready, when the kids are all ready, he goes, right, guys, we've got family night tonight and we're going to have a really fun time. So come on, come out here. And the kids are all come out to the edge of the carport. They're standing there. Flower everywhere, big mess. And he says, "Um, okay, so you've got to get to the swing in the middle. That's God. That represents God. You've got to get to God, but you mustn't get any flower on your feet because the flower represents our sin, the stuff that separates from us from God. This is a great, beautiful story, hey? Anyway, so the kids are there trying to work it out. Mm, They're going this way and that way. And they just can't reach to get to the swing without getting flour on their feet. So Sarah's getting a bit frustrated and she was getting a bit annoyed. And eventually Richard says to Mark, oh, it looks like there's like a shadow there on the floor. So Mark He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he reaches down and there's tape. So he lifts up this tape and as he peels it up, there's just enough room for him to jump onto this little area which doesn't have flour. It's all clean. And he keeps peeling it and keeps peeling it, keeps peeling. The cross. There's a cross underneath. And the cross, if they all jumped on the cross, they could get to the swing. So we get to God through Jesus. How good is that? Oh, come on. And Sarah was so frustrated. She goes, stupid cross. Stupid cross. We're like, no. This was meant to teach you about the cross, about the love of Jesus. And now she's angry about the cross. So come on, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't, but we have to teach our kids. We have to be intentional. We have to make it fun. We have to make it interesting. It has to be our daily lives and what we're doing. So come on, we have to teach our kids. We have to teach those around us the things of God. But I think the most powerful thing we can be is an example. And you know what? In our lives, everywhere we go, every single one of us, the most powerful thing we have 
is our example, who we are, where we go, whether you know, we are always an example. Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad, but we get to be an example, and especially with our children, how we speak, how we express our emotions, how we respect each other, how we speak about different races or, or um, genders or all those things. Like, you know, all those things are an example to our kids. And our kids actually translate their impression of God the Father through how their own father treats them so often. And so Richard was actually really intentional that he never broke a promise he made his kids. He would not promise them rather than promise something that could be broken because he never wanted our kids to think that God would break his promises. So just being really intentional about knowing that the example we live also helps our kids to understand God, to see God, to know who he is and who his power and, and his power. You know, it really is a privilege that we get to model, to model our faith for our kids, how to follow God, how to be a Christian, how to live a life of faith. And that's why talking about it, the challenges, our prayer life, what we're believing God for is so important. You know what, my dad, what a beautiful day to be able to honour my own dad. You know, my dad, he, he was, I watched him love and serve God his whole life. He um, was, is so faithfully committed to his church, but he was committed to making it engaging. I remember as a young child that he'd be talking about, how can we help the young families come? How can we make it interesting for them? He was always so intentional about making church something that people would want to come to. He, um, he ran our children's ministry for many years, and he made it so creative and fun. He would preach on Sundays, but he worked full time. So he showed me what it looked like to serve in God's house, even though he wasn't an actual minister. He sowed into every miracle offering. My local church has a magnificent building because my dad was at the forefront of sowing into the, their building. He was on the, he's on the maintenance team for the gardens. Every, often on a weekend, he's there serving in the gardens. He's 83 today. And he's still on the maintenance roster. And he still preaches in the house of God regularly. What, what an example he has been to me. My passion, I've got to tell you, my passion and love for this, the church, the bride of Christ, God's people, was sown in, that, in my heart by my dad. By my dad. He taught me Christian values. He showed me integrity. He showed me how to honour authority and follow the law. You know, he was self-employed. And he paid tax on every dollar he earned. He, if someone wanted to give him an invoice with no GST, he wouldn't work with them. He'd say, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'll find another tradie who's going to do it the right way. He'd be like, Dad, don't worry about it. Nope, he was stubborn about doing things God's way and honouring God. Come on, I reckon that deserves some praise. It's not always easy but he showed me. He was such a great example. He wasn't perfect. I'm not saying that, but he was, and he is still an amazing example. And I know there's so many dads in the room. That's what I love about this place. Amazing, amazing dads who set amazing examples for their kids in this room. Helping their kids to love God, live wholehearted, to um, be strong and capable. But I know that some of us have seen bad examples. I know some of us, what we, what's been around us has, has been difficult, whether it's violence or abuse or neglect or a dad who was just too busy or was super negative. 
a mum who was always yelling or maybe undermining her husband, a dad who screamed and abused, as many of us have seen, not such a good example. And we can think it's normal, but I want to encourage you. There is great news that God can change things. God has the power for you to choose differently. Even though that's what you've seen, it doesn't have to be what you do or who you are. And I know Richard has testified many times that he saw domestic violence in his home. It was his reality as a young boy. And that, you know, he, what he saw, he chose not to reproduce. And, and sometimes you guys can think, well, that's him talking. But can I, can I tell you, I've never seen my husband lift his hand to me. I have never had my husband yell and scream at me. Richard has, I have never lived in fear of my husband. He is a changed man and, and this has happened. This is possible with the power of God. It's possible to live differently, not be who you saw because of Jesus. Come on, let's give him some praise because our God is powerful. But I want to show you an amazing dad in scripture that I believe can really help us to see how this is possible. Paul writes to the church in Rome. The book of Romans is a letter to the church in Rome at that time. And in the final chapter, chapter 16, he he has this whole list of great people in the church, significant people who have helped to build this local church. And here he mentions a man called Rufus. In Romans 16 verse 19, 16 verse 13, it says this. It says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. So Paul mentions this man, Rufus, and the mother. Both of them have been, he's seen the significant God influence on their lives. Paul highlights that this man, Rufus, that God had chosen him, that he was a standout. Now, there's this, in this list that Paul gives us in chapter 16, there's about 20 different people. There's a whole bunch of people. And most of them, he's describing the great stuff they've done. But Rufus, he identifies as someone that God picked rather than what he'd done. So this Rufus and his mother are obviously very significant in the church in Rome, a really key part of this baby new church. Now, Mark's gospel, so the the letter to Romans is where Paul mentions this guy Rufus, but Mark's gospel was written for the Roman people to read. Mark's gospel is the story of Jesus' life and his, his purpose on earth written in a way that the Romans would understand it. It's actually written about 15 years later than the book of Romans. So in Mark, so Mark must have been, sorry, Mark was with Paul um, in his travels and I imagine he probably met Rufus because he was there amongst the people in this church and something tells me he knew this man's story. He knew Rufus's experience and how he had become a Christian. So then if we go to the Gospel of Mark, we actually find this guy, Rufus. Many of you may have never heard of this person, Rufus. But Mark puts him in the story. Mark puts him in his Gospel 
because it gives context to the people he's writing it to. It's like, you know, when you run into someone at the supermarket and you say, hey, hey, oh, I, I, the other day I saw this lady from high school. You remember the girl who knew the girl who knew the girl. Like we give context when we know someone knows someone. We want to make it clear the context of that person. So here's Mark. He's saying to, the, to um, the people in Rome, when he's writing his gospel, he's saying, hey, guys, you know this guy. This guy, Rufus, let me give you some context. So let's pick the story up in Mark chapter 15, verses 21 to 22. It says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So Jesus has been beaten, he's been bruised, he's, he can't, he's carrying this cross, he's being treated like a criminal, he's carrying his cross and he, he's falling to the ground, he can't carry it any further, but he's still got to get up the mountain to Golgotha. And the Romans pull from the crowd a man to take the cross for him, to carry that cross. They pull this man at random, Rufus's father, Simon of Cyrene, is pulled out at random. Who knows why he was there that day? It says he was visiting from the country. Maybe he was coming for the Passover. Everyone was coming into Jerusalem that weekend for the Passover. He, we don't know why he was there, but he was there on the side of the street as Jesus walked by. Can you imagine how he felt, Simon, at that moment, being asked to carry the cross of a criminal, a terrible man? The cross, the cross was a, the death, was the worst death possible. To die on the cross meant you were a terrible person. You had broken terrible, like you'd done really bad things. And here is this good man with his sons being asked to the humiliation of carrying somebody else's cross with no choice. So he takes the cross all the way to Golgotha. What happened on the way? Did he talk to Jesus? Did Jesus say anything to him on the way up that hill? Put yourself in his shoes. What was he hearing in the crowd around him? What were the crowd saying? Were they mocking? He must have been thinking, who is this guy that everybody's so stirred up about him? What? What's, what? There's going to put a sign on the top that says he's the king of the Jews? What does that mean, the king of the Jews? What, who is this guy? All this fuss. Every, and then there's these women, these women coming along behind him, crying, weeping. And people, some people are saying he's innocent. Some people are saying he's the son of God. Some people are saying we thought he was the Messiah. And Simon's thinking, where are his sons? Where are Rufus and Alexander while this man is dragging this cross up the hill? Then he gets to the top. They nail Jesus. They put him up. Something tells me he wouldn't have walked away. Something tells me he would have stayed close by to see what happened. This man dies. He sees the women. Did Mary thank him? Did Mary say, oh, thank you. Thank you for helping my son. I can't believe you helped my son. I know you had to, but thank you. Did he ask? Did he have a conversation? 
What happened? What happened that day? We don't know. I don't know whether he hung around to see the resurrection. Something tells me he, he'd made a connection with these people and he hung around. And a few days later, you know, they're all grieving. And then they find out this guy, this Jesus who'd been crucified is now risen from the dead. Are you telling me he's risen from the dead? And, and Simon's thinking, what? That's amazing. How is that possible? Come on. And then, and then something tells me he probably hung around. Maybe he was in the upper room. Maybe he waited. Maybe he stayed for what's happening. What's happening? Because we know that this man had an encounter with God. We know that this day, this random guy chosen out of a crowd, like you might feel like in this room today, you might feel like some random guy pulled out of a crowd, some random guy that someone dragged into this room today, and that guy, he got dragged off the side of the street, but I'm telling you, his life was transformed and changed by an encounter with the living God that day. His life was not the same. Theologians tell us, theologians deduce that Simeon in Acts chapter 13 is actually this same man, Simon. You can read the background. But now this man is a prophet and a teacher in the early church in Antioch. He actually laid hands and prays for Paul and Barnabas as they're sent out on the first missionary journey. This random guy and his kids were impacted by the cross that day. He was transformed and his family were part of the early church that has gone on to spread across the earth. This dad with his sons in Jerusalem that day. What an example. What example did that dad set? That dad demonstrated that having an encounter with God is the most important thing you can do for your kids to know God personally, to have Him transform your heart, to allow Him to be part of your daily life every day, that your encounter with God is fresh every day. Not an encounter you had 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but an encounter today, that as we have a fresh and a real encounter with God daily, our family is impacted, our kids are impacted, our workplace is impacted, the people around us see transformation. And what an amazing example for people. But a, transform, a life transformed by God. A life transformed through an encounter with Jesus. Amen. Do you need that? I need that. I need an encounter with God. I want to live a life that has so much transformation that my sons and my grandsons and my granddaughters and my great-granddaughters are still in the house like Rufus was in the house with his mum serving and building and being significant and value for the kingdom of God. People who are still carrying hope for their community across the earth. God, I want God to do something significant in my heart that it transforms me. Like what I saw with Richard, he's a transformed man because of an encounter with God. He doesn't live like he saw his parents live because of an encounter with God. We need an encounter. We need God. We need the resurrected Jesus to impact our hearts. Do you need the resurrected Jesus to impact your heart? Do you believe that God can shift things, change things, that you can be made brand new, that you can live a resurrected life? You know, I want to 
I believe that this church is full of great men, mighty men. I love the men in this church. I actually love men. You know, I think it's a really hard era to be a man of God. You know, people, you, people are, uh, have got opinions from every direction. And to stand as a man and say, I, in, I empower women. I, I empower women to lead. I empower my family. I honour my family. I've got the courage. I've got the courage to stand up for God, to stand up for what Jesus believes. I've got the courage. This is a tough day to do that. And I want to say to every man in this room, I believe in you. I love you. And I want God to bless you and to bring tra- more transformation, more encounter into your heart. Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. And I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you. will last for all eternity if you've prayed that prayer we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision you can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au we look forward to hearing from you